Welcome to the Grandmother Podcast. Just a brief reminder while it's up in front of you to please leave a five-star rating if you enjoy the show. And if you're feeling generous, to subscribe and to leave a review as well. We love your feedback and it goes a long way towards helping the algorithms and getting us out to more people. And for more, you can follow along at Grandmother Podcast on Instagram. Thanks for listening and enjoy the episode. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Jacqueline George. I'm a birth doula and childbirth educator and registered nurse in Medicine Bow, Wyoming. And I'm super excited to have been invited to record an episode of the Grandmother Podcast. Um, I'm here today with a very special person, my mother, my grandmother, my mom's mother, Peggy Bishop, is unfortunately no longer available for me to interview. She passed away a few years ago. But I'm lucky enough today to have my mom, her daughter, and we're going to talk today about uh, my grandmother and her experiences with raising children. And then we're going to talk about my mom's experiences raising children and becoming a grandmother herself. So I'm super excited and I'm just going to let her say hello and we're going to start talking. Hi, everyone. This is Mary. I'm Jacqueline's mother, very proud mother. Um, my daughter, Jacqueline, is just, you know, a fabulous daughter and best friend. You know, I'm blessed to say that, you know, all three of my children are my best friends and we can talk about each other to each other about anything. And about then, each other. <laughs> yeah. And about each other. True. <laughs> and when, you know, we're all together, you know, we all think we're about the funniest people ever. <laughs> and I feel sorry for people when they're around us because we can be quite overwhelming. <laughs> That's what makes us fun. But now. thank you so much for this opportunity. You know, Jacqueline started out saying, now, mom, you know, we have to talk for, you know, 45 minutes to an hour. And I was like, well, since when was that a problem? <laughs> right. <laughs> yes, of course, we're talking about one of our favorite people, Grandma Bishop. Yes, my mother. My mom was raised, well, both of my parents were raised in very strict Catholic backgrounds. They both, but they actually met at a Catholic boarding school. My dad is in Pennsylvania, St. Xavier, and they were only 13 years old when That's they crazy. went. And I remember my mom always saying how she just, you know, was so young and it just, she felt so sad that her mom would do that to her. But it did shape their lives quite a bit. And you know, we were raised Catholic. We always, you know, went to mass and we always, you know, did all the, you know, sacraments and everything that goes along with it. We're no, you know, my husband and I do not, we're not practicing Catholics, but it certainly, you know, had a lot to do with probably, you know, our upbringing and how we were raised. Oh, yeah. You know, I'm not, you know, here just to talk about Catholicism. So I apologize. I can <laughs> no. go on and on. <laughs> no, I think it's important because I mean, think about like you, for a Catholic family in the fifties, you guys didn't have lots of siblings, but you still had three siblings or four kids. Mm -hmm. And you and Dave and George, your brothers were really close in age, which is kind of, I guess, stereotypical thing that you think about is 
with, with Catholic families that are really traditional. So I'm sure that was probably real fun for yes. grandma. I know. Well, I'm the youngest of the three. There's my brother, George, my brother, David, and me, Mary. And I'm 64. So, you know, my mother got married in... 1955, I think. Yes. And my brother, George, was born in 56. My brother, Dave, was born in 57. And I was born in 58. And when you think back about everything, you know, and all the conveniences that women and parents have now, and even grandparents in, you know, caring for your children. I I even see things now, you know, as opposed to when I raised my kids that are just so much easier. And here, you know, I have a mother who, you know, she did not nurse. And so you know, she had probably at least two babies, if not possibly three at one point in cloth diapers. Yes, I can't even believe it. But man, were we wild Indians and we were fearless and inseparable and (laughs) just, you know, still to this day, very close. And it's really funny because when we're together, you know, I'm on the other side of the country from them. I'm in Washington and they're in Ohio and Arizona. Um, but when the three of us are together, it's almost as if, you know, we're triplets because we just kind of bounce off of each other. And the boys can say things to me that, you know, a lot of people would consider harsh. And I'm just like, oh, go away. You know, you <laughs> annoy me. And, you know, and we just laugh. And we have a little sister who, you know, um, we always laugh and say, oh, it's the one baby that was planned. And Probably. she's, you know, I'm the youngest. So she's five and a half years younger than me. So she sometimes, you know, has trouble comprehending that whole relationship. You know, she, her feelings are a little more tender where mine aren't at all. And the boys think they're being really funny. And I think they're actually being very hilarious. So she does not, (laughs) (laughs) but she's a very special, beautiful woman. And she also is a nurse. Yeah. But anyhow, we were raised very strictly. It, It was funny. We, it was strict but we w- moved to a small town when we were young. It was on my third birthday in Ohio, very small town. And you were just set free, mm-hmm. you know, to go and run everywhere you wanted to. And my mom had a bell on the outside of the house. And, you know, she would ring the bell when it was time for dinner or time or she, you know, kind of wanted to see, you know, where were those three Indians. And we went everywhere, you know, at a very young age, you know, hiking in the woods and climbing up trees and walking here and there. Just, it was just crazy, but it was the best way to grow up, you know? And I think some of the freedom we we received is that she, you know, didn't want the three of us underfoot Mm -hmm. all the time. And um, my mom was a stay at home mom and she just beautiful woman. Just a very beautiful woman, very selfless, very, very loving, and was that way her whole life. And probably one of the, you know, biggest blessings of my life was to have her as an example, as a mother, as a very dear friend. We were very, very close. So when, you know, I lost her, it was a, there was a big hole Mm -hmm. left in my life, but I have, you know, wonderful family to, you know, support me. And we laugh about memories and, you know, probably things that everyone experiences when they lose someone that they care about. Agree. She was amazing. And, but we were very, my father came from a Catholic background too. And he was raised by a very strict father who was a surgeon and he wanted things a certain way all the time. Mm -hmm. And so my dad was the same way. I mean, manners were at the utmost priority. And I know my dad, I think my dad lived a little more of a wealthier lifestyle because from a very young age, we always went out to dinner and, you know, or brunch after church. And we had to have perfect manners, perfect. And when I say perfect, it's not even an exaggeration. (laughs) And my mom and dad had this little breakfast room where we would eat dinner 
as a family every night, which was always very important. But it was always, please pass the salt. May I have some more mashed potatoes? You know, always please, thank you, may I, and excuse me. Anything you can think of, of any noise, you know, you had to have the proper response. And it started also with a prayer before dinner, a Catholic prayer before dinner, and then a Catholic prayer at the end of dinner. Oh, wow. And um, our biggest joke is, is (laughs) you couldn't leave unless you ate all your food. So naturally, the four of us, my sister and two brothers, we love almost all food. (laughs) Because they made you eat all your food. (laughs) And if we didn't eat, or if we didn't say thank you or please, right there in the breakfast room was a little half bath. We had to leave the table and we had to go and sit in the bathroom with the door shut on the toilet. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. And so. And there were no iPhones, so you didn't have anything. Yeah, we could didn't look have at. anything. And usually I think the lights had to be off, if I remember oh correctly. Gosh, that is, that's pretty intense. <laughs> so mom did say that, you know, when we would go out to dinner, people would come up and compliment them all the time because George and Dave and I here, you know, I'm sure when you see, you know, this nice restaurant and these parents walking in with kids that are just one year apart, you know, thinking, oh, great, now our dinner's ruined. And people would come up and say, your children are probably the most polite children we've ever met. And, you know, it was totally out of fear. (laughs) Sure, I don't want to go sit in the bathroom at the restaurant. But I feel like that's something that, you know, you just don't see as much anymore. So there's something, you know, good to be said about that too. I mean, about having the yes. ability to have good manners. And you guys raised us that, not that strictly. I've never had to sit in the bath when I didn't eat my food. But you guys were very much, you and dad both were very much focused on that same thing about us being polite. I mean, I don't know that we always did it, but you guys really wanted guys, us no, to do it. You guys were. I, the, the kids of my children were were and still are very polite children. And even, you know, to this day, you know, certain things, you know, I could bristle occasionally at certain things if I feel like, you know, maybe one of the grandchildren oh, yeah. isn't eating something the way I was supposed to, you know, or you shouldn't do this anymore. You shouldn't force people to eat all this food. That's, you know, not a healthy, you know, mentality. But my mom did fix it by saying we had to eat. And I did this with the kids. This is the worst. One bite for how old you were. So, you know, like when Jacqueline was three, she had to have three peas on her plate. Which so is not terrible. That's not terrible. And you had to, you know, introduce something new. Yeah. So I felt like I taught him to enjoy all kinds of foods, but not to overeat too. Yeah. You know, but I was raised in a home where all the women in my family are amazing they are. cooks. Oh my God. Including Amazing you. cooks. You're- yeah. And we all learned from my mom and my brothers are fabulous cooks, you mm-hmm. know, along with my sister. And so are my kids. You know, my daughters did marry men who cook. Yeah, we're very and lucky. And I always tell them that they're, they're completely spoiled. We are. And Melissa and I are not, we're not as well versed in cooking as you probably because of that. Because our husbands cook for us all the time. Yeah, but no, you both are really good cooks. So, you know, they, there was a lot, you know, there was a lot of chaos, but also a lot of, you know, control over our circumstances, you know, going to church, going to mass, you know, all of those things, structure, a lot of structure. And, you know, those were all good things. And, you know, I read once that, you know, structure does give kids um, security because they know what to expect Mm -hmm. and that your home, and this was something that sat in with me from the beginning when I had Jacqueline, I heard a speaker and he said, your home should be a haven. For your children, mm-hmm. he said, because the world for anybody is a hard place. And yep. so they have a ha- hard day at school or just uh, go to a friend's house and someone wasn't nice to them. You know, things can be so traumatic for everybody and, you know, small children and, you know, teenagers and adults. And it's nice to know, okay, I can go to this one place. I can sit, I can be myself, I can feel love and realize that everything's going to be okay. Mm -hmm. And that was always my goal for my kids was to know that our house was and is like the arms of my husband and myself, Mm -hmm. that they can walk right in 
and, you know, sometimes hearing things we didn't want to hear, but also having them trust us enough to know that, you know, we can work through it together. Mm-hmm. And I think that's important. You know, you ha- your kids have to trust you because, you know, as a teenager, you know, myself and, you know, young adult, you make mistakes, you do things and, mm, gosh, you know, not always want to tell people, but if you need to tell someone, I will always have wanted to be that person if I could, you know, ideally. Well, you are, I feel like you, you are. And even now <laughs> I'm almost 40 and I'm like, I have to tell you what's making me so upset right now. Yeah. And you know, my and mom, Melissa too. yeah, Melissa, my daughter, <laughs> yeah. Melissa, I mean, probably I talk to us. my girls all the time. You know, I have a lot of friends who have just all boys and they talk about things and they realize that, you know, I talk to the girls a lot, you know, and actually I talk to my husband's wife a lot too. She's another one of my daughters, you know, he married someone that just fits right in with our family as the girls did with their husbands, you know, mm-hmm. and you know, I can tell the difference between people who have just boys as opposed to people who have boys and girls because women are just, you know, so emotional and we like to rely on each other. And, you know, it's just women and men are just different, yeah, as I you would, know. I would agree. Absolutely. <laughs> um, but I know I was going somewhere. Oh, we were talking about how Jacqueline said, you know, well, here I am 40 and I always go to you. Um, my mom. 40. Yeah, almost. (laughs) Um, My mom was my best friend and we were so close. And I talked to her every day, if not twice a day, her whole life. So, you know, that certainly was a phone call I missed when she died. Mm -hmm. But we always would laugh because my mom and dad slept in separate bedrooms for a lot of the end of their lives. I think as long as you guys can remember yeah. Most of the time. Unless they were visiting someone. Yeah. Then yeah. And they, they had a big bedroom that had a sitting area with a television area and a giant king size bed. Mm-hmm. And I would whenever I visited, if Dave, my husband, wasn't with me, I would sleep with my mom. I think we all would. We <laughs> yeah. all tried to sleep in that bed together. It was like, how many people can you it was like a clown car. How many people can you fit in this king size? Yeah. <laughs> and mom would have grandkids all over the floor sleeping in sleeping bags. Or the cot. Or there was a cot. Oh, it was so comfortable. And I remember Melissa saying once, I remember when grandma would say, whoever goes to sleep first gets a dollar. And she said, we never knew whoever got the dollar. She said, I don't even think any of us ever did get a dollar, but it always worked every night. It did. That's so (laughs) smart. Bribery. (laughs) Yeah. So I, you know, I like to think about how she was as a mother and also just a an amazing grandmother. Mm-hmm. Um, she just loved her grandkids with all her might. And, you know, the kids, the memories they have of my mom and my dad are very strong and very heartwarming. And, Absolutely. you know, and they think about, you know, one of the first things they couldn't wait to do is they get to my mom and dad's house. They lived in this house over 50 years and they would run in and my mom always had this one drawer and oh it was gosh. a snack drawer and you would open it up and she would always have cookies, candy, it was you awesome. know, everything. And the kids were allowed to open that drawer whenever they wanted and just snack. Until but three o'clock. Until three o'clock. Cutoff time. Yeah. And at three o'clock was cutoff time because she was a fabulous cook, but she expected you to eat good food too. Yeah. And you know, the big joke is, is I have a son, Jared, who is eight years, younger, eight years than younger than Jacqueline. And Jacqueline was the second oldest of all the grandkids. And when Jared came along, he was the last grandchild, the baby. Prince Jared. And the girls call him Prince Jared. And <laughs> <laughs> I'll never forget, you know, we would go, we lived in Barnesville, Ohio, very small town and had a wonderful little public pool. And every day, you know, we take the kids swimming at the public pool, but we would race back because the goal was to get home before cutoff time at mm-hmm. three o'clock. And, you know, sometimes the panic look on kids' faces as we would pull up to mom and dad's house, they'd be like, hurry, 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 get in the house. <laughs> and mom would go, stop, cutoff time. It was the worst. Oh and the ki- I'll never forget all the kids were like, what? And she's like, no one can have anything to eat. But Jared. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
And so I think about those things, you know, that my kids, you know, when they visit, I always, you know, go grocery shopping before they come and make sure there's lots of, you know, cereal that they might like and lots of snacks and fruit and just everything and I could think of and ice cream and popsicles yeah, because all the stuff we don't want our own kids. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I want them to feel that way. And I can tell it works because recently my other daughter, Melissa, visited with her two boys. And um, where we live right now has an old refrigerator, one that you can, you know, is the floor length where you can stand and open it. And it's like you're looking in a closet. And Wally, who's four, will walk up and open it like, okay, what, you know, treasures are in here that I can eat. And he'll stand and just stare at it like there's so, so much to choose from. (laughs) So I want that to be for my kids, too, because I can see with my adult children just all the memories Mm -hmm. that they've had. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. It's interesting to think you and grandma were so close. And I always liked, especially with what I do now with, you know, taking, helping take care of women who are pregnant and having babies. And I always think about, you know, you and I always talked about everything when I was pregnant. You've always talked with your, with us, me and Melissa and Kelsey, Mm -hmm. you were always there to talk to us about our pregnancies and all of our crazy things we were worrying about or things we wanted to know. But it's interesting to think about you and your pregnancies and grandma and hers, because I I was born at home. And I know that that really was not something she was very excited about when you told her that was what you were going to do. Right. Well, and it was, you know, from generation to generation, you know, when my mother gave birth, she first of all had very quick births. You know, Mm -hmm. I think dad said what with my brother, David, he was the second one that he dropped her off at the emergency room or wherever she would go in, you know, and he parked the car. And when he walked in, she was pushing David out. It was that fast. And mom says that, you know, they would have you all like in a the same room mm-hmm. oh, yeah. on, you know, beds, not even beds. Like stretchers. Stretchers. And she said all the other ladies were like, it's not fair. You just got here and just had a baby. That would have been me. <laughs> yeah, that would have been me too. And hers went fast, but she does talk about how miserable her pregnancies were because they were very, very strict about how much weight you gain. Oh, it's terrible. And she was never allowed to gain more than 20 pounds. And I don't know why they would worry because she was five foot tall and weighed like 100 pounds. But it's crazy because 
they wouldn't let her gain more than 20 pounds, but they allowed her to smoke. That keeps you from gaining weight. And she smoked, um, you know, and drank coffee and the whole thing. I mean, you know, the whole time um, she was pregnant and even, you know, with my sister, Julie, and on top of it, she was, you know, RH negative Mm -hmm. blood. So she would be considered, you know, even a high risk pregnancy. But um, she never had trouble with the births. It was just, you know, the the restrictions, the restrictions, and you know how starving she was because she had awful. a good appetite, but then never gained weight. But then, you know, you didn't have a lot of conveniences like formulas and all kinds of things that you know the kids have now. And she didn't nurse. I'm sure they probably figured that was not appropriate. Because my dad was devastated when he saw me nursing Jacqueline. He told me to get up out of the room and go to the back of my own house oh and nurse her, <laughs> which I didn't. Good. That's um, ridiculous. So, you know, it was different. You know, it was a different time. Mm-hmm. You know, women, you know, men weren't allowed to go in with women. You know, dad said he could just, you know, hear the women screaming from out in the hallway. Where he was probably smoking a cigarette because yeah. you could smoke in the <laughs> hospital. Oh, my gosh. And so, you know, it was just completely different. And when I got pregnant with Jacqueline, I th- I really believe at that time it was like the beginning of a new era. It really was. You People know? were changing. They wanted more natural birth. They wanted yeah. to kind of return to that. I mean, that's when you saw a lot of like Ina Mae Garten and these women that were like doing midwifery communes. And it was just like very natural and you were fit right in. <laughs> well, and I was so, yeah, I was very young too. And, um, yeah, you're and I'm, you know, I'm all about natural birth. Don't get me wrong. Also, you know, if someone chose to have an epidural, of course I support all of, you know, good, healthy choices for women, but being the young woman that I was at the time, I, someone was just like, well, you know, you, you do need to have your baby at home. It was just, I was told that's what you do, mm-hmm. you know? and being raised by a very proper Catholic family, you didn't talk about any stuff like that. You didn't, they didn't talk to me about personal things, Mm -hmm. you know? So I think it was just assumed you did what you were supposed to do. And I was just like, okay. And, and Dave, my husband lived in California at the time. I met him in California. We were in the Pasadena, California area. And he had, you know, he was very familiar with it, even though, you know, he, was not a father and he had never been married. He was also a young man too. And we were just like, okay, we'll have a baby at home. And my mom was horrified, but, you know, I had a nurse midwife and she was fabulous Mm -hmm. and very qualified and very intelligent. And on top of it, she worked with, you know, the hospital and a doctor. So, you know, if there would be a problem, then you would go to, you know, it was Cedar sinai Hospital. Mm-hmm. So I had a really healthy pregnancy with Jacqueline. And um, the home birth, you know, I really remember being fairly uneventful other than a regular, you know, birth. And, um, you know, it did last a long time. Isn't it like 20... Two hours or something Some, like that? Yeah, around 20 hours or so. I, I, You know, it was the day before you were born. So it's like at four and you were born the next morning sometime. And sorry, Jacqueline, I don't have my, I don't afternoon. have my, oh, I don't have my notes. <laughs> <laughs> Why don't you know all the exact specifications? <laughs> but I remember the pain and not realizing what labor feels like, you know, it was just like, oh my gosh, you know, but when you think about the fact you're pushing a human being out of your body, you know, there's no way it couldn't hurt. But I remember it being fairly calm. And I remember, you know, a very good atmosphere because I had the certified nurse midwife and I had a midwife, Cheryl, Cheryl, who was one of my best friends. So it was, you know, very comfortable. And Dave, my husband, very supportive. He's a very kind, soft-spoken man. And, you know, I remember being in the the bed a lot and relaxing. And if I wasn't walking around, you know, I was sleeping in the bed. And so we kind of just moved around for that perfect time. So it wasn't this like traumatic thing. It just, the initial pains, you know, those are traumatic, I would say for anybody, if you had never, because you never experienced something like that. But 
nothing can compare. And, you know, and it's the same with all three of my kids is that here, you know, you've carried this child in you this whole time. And the next thing you know, you're having all this pain. And then someone is laying an actual human being in your arms, which truly is just incredible. Mm -hmm. And you're like, wow, you know, hi, (laughs) hi, little person. (laughs) You know, it's this person and it's just crazy. It's just fabulous. And, you know, and Jacqueline was just a darling little angel (laughs) for (laughs) For, a while. For a little while. (laughs) (laughs) No. (laughs) Um, I was just, you know, regressing to teenage years for a a brief second. skipping over that part. (laughs) (laughs) But I did have my placenta stayed intact. And so the midwife did try to gently remove it and it didn't work. It was just too clamped on to. And so they had to call (laughs) 911 to take me to the hospital. The hospital was waiting for me, you know, and this, these are the the small parts that show probably our immaturity as, you know, a young couple, because when I went into labor, because my mom was not all for it, I took my phone off the hook. So even though she knew I was in labor, she couldn't get a hold of me. Can you imagine if I'd done that to you? Oh, and so, so, you know, my poor mom was suffering, waiting to hear something. Well, then I had this emergency and we didn't have a chance to call anybody or say, hey, a baby's been born, anything. And I have this happening and I laugh because, you know, I'm laying in bed with no clothes on, Mm -hmm. holding a little baby and the door bursts open into the bedroom and it's a fireman. And he comes running up and he stands at the end of my bed and he looks at me. It's just so clear. And he's like, fireman, ma'am. And I'm like, um, hi. <laughs> and then I look at Dave and I said, please, someone cover me up. Because like multiple men started running in the room. <laughs> oh my gosh. And so they fussed with me for about 10 minutes or so, you know, and did not listen to the midwife. She's like, I already tried to do this and this and this. But, you know, maybe they were following all their procedures. Yeah, I, you probably. know, I, that's probably what it was. And we lived in an apartment and it was like mm-hmm. the second or third floor. I can't remember. And they took me out on a stretcher and everyone in the apartment building was lined up. In the hallway? In the hallway. And I'm just like, hi. And they're like, God bless you, Mary. We're praying oh for you. And I was just like, look at what I've done. I mean, I've had this beautiful baby, but I've got like everyone so upset, you know, and Elaine, who just happened, she's the nurse midwife, had just happened to have a baby. And, you know, nursing was considered the thing. And so she took care of Jacqueline and nursed her at the hospital when I went in and they did a DNC. And I'll never forget, it was St. Patrick's Day and all of the people, the nurses had green on and they're like, look, we're wearing green to celebrate your daughter's birthday. And, you know, and they got me in there and I'm waiting for surgery and Dave comes in, that's my husband. And he looks at me and he's crying. And then all of a sudden he says, Mary, what am I going to tell your mom? And I was like, oh no. I said, Dave, you haven't called my mom? And he's like, no. And I said, you have to call her. So I still don't even know what that conversation had to have sounded like. I'm sure dad, Dave was crying. So that probably, you know, softened softened my mom's heart a little bit. And of course the surgery went fine. We had a good, another good friend who had a new baby and she came over and took care of Jacqueline and nursed her. And (laughs) it was just, you know, one big community thing. And the next day I was released from the hospital and then things, you know, I healed well and things went really well. And then when I had Melissa three and a half years later, I found a wonderful doctor in Glendale, California, and he worked out at Glendale Adventist. His name was Dr. Drockenberg. And to this day, I just hold him in just such high regard. I used to go with you to all your appointments. And Jacqueline would go with me at all my appointments. And she had a big imagination. And she, at that point, was Miss Piggy. And you could only address her in in that way. And he thought that was the best thing ever. And so he would always, couldn't wait for our visits. And they would just spoil Jacqueline and talk to her. And, you know, and they took really good care of me. And 
they let me go the full two weeks after I had, when I was pregnant with Melissa and she was born in, you know, the beginning of December, but the beginning of November, I was already dilating, Mm -hmm. you know, and they would say, oh, you're not going to come back, you know, next week, we'll see you at the hospital. And I just kept coming back (laughs) and I kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And I'm only five foot four. And Melissa, when she was born, was nine pounds, four ounces. Yeah. And she She was still only weighs nine pounds, four ounces. (laughs) And she's 36 years old. (laughs) (laughs) She's tall and slender like her sister. Um, But she was so chubby that used to have to undress her just to nurse her because she could have gone without food probably for a month. She was just sleeping. Sleep. Yeah. But my labor was completely different. You know, I went late, of course. He let me go. And the day of the appointment that he was going to probably talk about, you know, what are, what are our next steps, I got up that morning and I had had a bloody show. Mm-hmm. And so I knew, okay, it's going to happen. And Jacqueline being, you know, the experienced nurse and doula that she is, you know, laughs when I tell her that I had decided oh this gosh. time I was going to make sure my hair looked nice and that my legs were shaved. And so I went and sat in a hot shower and for probably at least 20 minutes, if not longer. Just dilating away. Yeah. And, you know, I, and it was probably four in the morning or something. I don't, I can't remember. So I called my friend, Cheryl, who was the midwife when I had Jacqueline. And she would call every 15 minutes to see, you know, time my contractions. Well, they were varying, you know, it was like nine minutes apart, three minutes apart, mm-hmm. 10 minutes apart. She was face up. Yeah. And That's they why. were, and she's like, oh, I don't know, Mary. She said, I think maybe you should go now. And I was like, okay. And we had a 40 minute drive because we lived in Covina and Glendale was in the opposite direction. By the time I got to the hospital, the windows of the car were steamed up. I was breathing so hard. And we got in and this was kind of the temperature of how I feel births were looked at and women in labor at that time, because you were, there was like a procedure you went in. And of course they really didn't acknowledge the fact that, you know, okay, you're in pain and you know, all of those things. It was kind of like yada, yada, yada. And they would always shave you. And that was like, you know, Another thing when they're like, well, you're going to have a home birth, you know, and you don't get shaved. You don't have to have any of these things that they make you do in the hospital. And so, you know, in my mind, you know, I had all my set rules and regulations. And so we go in and the lady's like, all right, well, just come over here. And they put me on a stretcher and she said, well, I guess, you know, I'll just check you, you know, and then we'll shave you. And I'm like, I don't want shaved. And she goes, let's just check you first. And she wasn't mean, but you could tell, you know, I was kind of put in that little box of typical. Difficult patient because you, you know, don't let me do what I'm And you're breathing really hard and you're probably not even that far along type thing. And she checked me and I was eight centimeters dilated. And she was just like, oh, no. And <laughs> so they raced me up, but I did have a birthing room. And Dr. Drockenberg showed up. You could tell he had just gotten out of bed. He's still kind of blinking. And I had Melissa in three hours and she was a big baby. And she came out face up because mm-hmm. I pushed for three hours. That's yeah. what took so long. And because she was so big. And with all of my children, I didn't tear. And I never had episiotomies. And so here comes this little face looking up and then she just completely flips in the birthing canal and boop pops out and just chubby as could be. And, you know, it was a short birth and it was, you know, I think that the, the deal is, is even though I'm sure a lot of that pain was as bad as what I experienced with my other kids, it's the length. You know, it's yeah, kind of like, it okay, it's really over. Tired. Yeah. And you're, so they just, you know, here I had another little bundle in my arms and it was just really wonderful. And Dave and I were just so happy to have two little girls. And, and then along came Jared eight years later and his birth, it only took five hours to have him, but mom, which is me, was older. I was in my thirties. Younger than I was when I had my yeah. son. and. We were in a really small hospital and we just thought we knew everything. And Dave and I didn't go to birthing classes, which we should have, you know, and 
I don't know, just reminders on how to just prepare yourselves. And it was just kind of like, yeah, we're having another baby. And the first hard contraction, I was mad at that point. And it went downhill from there. I just screamed at everybody and swore at my husband and made him cry. And I was just horrible. I was horrible. And I'll never forget when Jared popped out thinking, oh, thank you, God, that it is a boy after two girls or my husband wouldn't love me anymore. (laughs) Right. (laughs) (laughs) And out came this little baby boy and he had two sisters who were eagerly awaiting him and spoiled him with lots of love along with his parents. But, you know, overall, I think that um, I never had any pain management, but, you know, you get, you do get over that initial pain and, you know, you get this beautiful little bean handed to you and everything instantly goes away. But with both of my daughters having babies. Yeah, that's probably really I, different having than having different. your own babies, having grandchildren. Right. But I told them, you know, do not hesitate to get an epidural. I said, you don't, you know, you don't have to be in pain. It's not like a rite of passage. And I feel like with the timeline and everything, it kind of hit a new curve of, okay, back to natural. Mm-hmm birth without pain medication, you know, and I feel like it's like everything else. It's a woman's right to choose, you know, don't put, you know, some type of. It's not a one size fits all thing. Yeah. And don't judge, you know, let people do what works best for them and makes it a positive birth. And Mm -hmm. I was fortunate enough with my daughter, Melissa, that I got to experience her giving birth. When Jacqueline gave birth to her son, it was during COVID and I wasn't allowed to go in, which, you know, was very disappointing. Yeah. For everyone involved. It was awful. But I got to watch Melissa and I got to see how they monitor with the, you know, Pitocin and not the Pitocin. She had an epidural. She had an epidural, excuse me. And how they track the contractions and they prepare her and say, okay, now one's coming, get ready to push so that they have your body working with, you know, what they see, which is accurate, you know, information and, you know, and get to see her son being born. And it was the first time I'd ever seen a birth. And it's crazy. It was really amazing and very exciting. And I was just, you know, thinking, oh, you know, I was very excited at the thought that I would get to see Jacqueline's son get born or be born because it is quite a experience. And, you know, they're my daughters. I wanted to be there for them and support them, you know, and love them during that process and support their husbands. I never had any worry about Jacqueline because her husband, Justin, is, you know, one of the smartest you know, nurses I've ever met and a very strong man that I knew without a doubt, he always would be taking care of Jacqueline. He's, he's that type of a person. And so is Melissa's husband too. But, um, you know, like with Melissa, I told Dave, I said the next day, my neck hurt because every time Melissa pushed, I pushed. I was like, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> and it was because you just know, it's almost like, you know what, you do know what they're going through. And it's just, I think, an automatic thing for a mother, you know, how when your kid falls and hits their head, you're just like, oh, you know, it hurts. And so, you know, it was quite the experience. And, you know, I'm very proud of both of them. They're beautiful mothers. It was disappointing for me, for sure. It was, it was, you know, towards the beginning of COVID when he was born and there wasn't a vaccine, regardless of whether you feel you would needed or not. There was no vaccine at the time. So they weren't letting anyone do anything. And the thing that was really frustrating for me is that when he was born, it was like a bunch of strangers in the room. It was the doctor or the night shift nurses, the day shift nurses, because mm-hmm. I was one of the only people having a baby. And I just remember thinking, all of these strangers can be in this room with me, but I can't have my mom. Yeah. And it was no different. None of them were vaccinated, which Now, I guess they can make that argument, which here in Wyoming, they don't. But like you could say, well, you're not vaccinated. But back then, no one was. Right. And so them not letting her come, it just didn't make any sense. And then all of a sudden, I have all of these people in the room that I'm like, I don't know any of you, but my mom can't be here. And I think that's really important to have that. I mean, that support from women in your family. That's how people always gave birth. You know, their Mm -hmm. grandmothers and their mothers always supported them. And so I think that 
it's always important to talk about that connection when you talk about birth. You don't have right. grandmothers, and you don't have mothers unless you have birth. So not having them there makes like Perfect. no sense to me at all. Well, and when you think about, you know, everyone should just even think about any situation in their life when you're in pain or you're afraid or anything like that. It's usually the person that you're very close to, you know, a husband, a mother, a wife, a sister, a best friend. And even though you're scared, you get this feeling of support from that person. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and that's what mothers like to do. It's, I think, more specifically with first time, if you're really experiencing a lot of pain and with pain, you know, can come fear and unknowing and all these weird feelings of fear. And that's why having your husband there and having, if you can have another support person, your mother or your sister, Mm -hmm. you know, or your best friend, whomever helps with that. You know, can you imagine years ago, like with my mother, you know, all of a sudden you're carted into a room and you're put on a stretcher and there's all these other women who are screaming and crying and that's where you are. You're like, okay, here you go. Picturing it just is weird. Terrible. Yeah. No, I completely um, so, agree. But, you know, the girls, you know, did wonderfully. And I'm very <laughs> proud of both of them. And to touch briefly, I know we're, I don't know what all we have to talk about. But <laughs> Whatever you want. I want to just say quickly that my son's wife, she had C-sections. Yes. Kelsey. And I was fortunate enough that she asked me to come and stay with her after she had her second son. And so I got to go. And again, another eye-opening experience, you know, because I didn't realize how hard it is on a woman when they have a Mm C-section. You know, they're first, they're in the hospital for multiple days because, you know, you've had an actual surgery and on top of having a baby come out and then they send you home and here she already had one young child and she had a new baby. And, you know, it hurts to walk, it hurts to cough, it hurts, you know, just and so tired and, you know, it was very overwhelming. They did a wonderful job, but without support, I, I makes, I'm so glad I got to go and be there and help them and experience that with them. And, you know, I feel like it allowed my daughter and I more time to bond and get, become closer. Yeah. And I liked that. I value that very much. And of course my son. Yes. Well, Prince Jared. Yeah. Jared. (laughs) Got to keep him up there. How do you feel it's been different, like becoming a grandmother versus becoming a mother? Like, I mean, I've talked to some people recently who said it's interesting because sometimes their grandchildren remind them so much of their kids that it's almost like you're raising your, you're like you're around Mm -hmm. your child again for like brief moments. It's, it is, you do see those similarities, you know, for example, like I've always told you, you know, Jacqueline has a darling little boy and he gets very excited and he wiggles all over with excitement and jumps up and down and wiggles his fingers. Jacqueline did the same thing all the time for a long time, for like three years. <laughs> Everything was really you know, exciting. And so you see the little things that, you know, remind you of the kids, you know, and I think that brings not only, you know, again, here's this beautiful person in your life, but, you know, you see, you get to see your children as parents and you get to see them with their spouse and with their child and surrounded in this love and experiencing love and experiencing a miracle. And it brings you so much joy, but it's also, it is everything people tell you about being a grandparent. It's just the best. And, (laughs) you know, it is great that you don't have to do the discipline, you know, and I'm not as a grandmother afraid to do that. You Mm -hmm. know, my daughter, my oldest daughter, her kids are older. And Melissa's daughter, Melissa's kids. Oh, excuse me. My daughter, Melissa, Jacqueline's the oldest, you know, and sometimes being older, you need to say, well, no, you can't go outside and play or you can't do that. You know, I don't, don't want to like lay down the hammer, but I am very much still a mom. And I know, you know, I would never let them do something that I didn't let my kids do. Mm -hmm. But probably the hardest part about being a grandmother is keeping your mouth shut with your children, <laughs> you know, because here, here, you know, 
my kids are adults. They're professionals in the world. You know, they're intelligent, amazing human beings. And I'm just, you know, well, don't you think you should do this? And I made that mistake a couple of times. And now I know not to say it unless I'm asked. No, <laughs> I think it just depends on which child's children, you're, which which child's family you're dealing with, how receptive they are or, or not receptive. Everybody's different, you know, about the things that they want advice about. Yeah. And it's the same. I mean, it depends on the situation. Like, is well, my child situation. actively melting down right now? Because if they are, I really don't need that assistance from you. <laughs> but there is something about the fact that, you know, you get to be the one that just does the continuous love and, you know, bring treats and snacks and toys. And I love doing that, you know, and it's not that I didn't love doing it with the kids, but we were young and we didn't have a lot of money. And unlimited resources. And, you know, Dave and I, you know, my husband is hilarious because he he loves being a grandpa and there is no way he would ever, I think, say a stern word. I mean, occasionally I've heard him stop, you know, one of our older kids from climbing up a ladder or something like that. But he loves being a grandpa. He loved being a dad too. He's still quite very much a softy, but we love being grandparents. It's, a great joy. Was it interesting? I, I, it is for me. I don't know how you felt about it. When it's like you start to see that your parents are grandparents, like, cause I always just saw you as my parents. So then it's like, when you have kids, you're like, oh, now you're someone's grandparent. Was that weird for you? Like when grandma and grandpa were like, not just your parents anymore, but now they're like no. a different role or was it just kind of a nap? Sometimes it to me, I'm like, natural. oh, that's right. You guys have, you're, you're a grandma. It's just, sometimes it's, I'm like, oh, you should be my mom and only my mom. And then yeah. I, now I have a child and I'm like, oh, you're a grandma. You're not just my mom. I mean, I've had to share you my entire life. So I don't know why it's weird for me, but I don't know if you thought that was. No, not at all. But my grandparents played a huge role in my life. You know, they were very present and that's what I wanted for you guys with your mm-hmm. dad's mom and with my parents. Mm-hmm. And my mom had an a wonderful, she just had a gift of connecting with people and loving people. She was just such a loving woman. And so she would call all the time and she'd talk to the kids on the phone Mm -hmm. and she would visit. They'd see them, you know, twice a year and it would be more for a long time, not, you know, a couple days. And, but she always kept up on, you know, whatever, you know, like Jacqueline wanted to be Miss Piggy. So she'd send her Miss Piggy toys and you know, and she knew when the kids lost their teeth, she'd send them a dollar in the mail mm-hmm. and say, the Sooth Fairy thought you were visiting me. Here's a dollar. You know, she had ways of making sure that the kids knew that near or far, you were so special to me. And that's, you know, what I, well, it's actually true. Number one, yeah. it is true, <laughs> you know, but it's my desire because it worked with my kids and my parents. And I have kids that are all over. My children, you know, we don't live within, you know, real close proximity. I mean, we can get together, you know, if if we need to, but, you know, like for Jacqueline and Justin, a couple day drive and Jared's on the other side of the country. So, you know, it's important that we all stay close and we, we do that. Mm -hmm. I think we do a very good job of that. I do too. I do too. And it's interesting because you said after grandma died and you were going through all their stuff, she had saved all of those things like the, the letters that Melissa used to write yes. when she was mad at you <laughs> and you and she would make dad mail I'm like <laughs> my daughter Melissa she's, she's uh, here she's a school counselor so you know she's very empathetic and she had very strong feelings from a very young age and all of a sudden she was I don't know she had to have been able to write so she was like six or seven I guess yeah and she would write letters to my mom. It was like this one year, she would write my mom letters and tell her how awful dad and I were. And my mom would call me then, you know, when she'd get them, she'd be like, I got a letter today. (laughs) And she'd laugh. And I remember Dave giving her stamps, my husband, and he'd say more hate mail to your mom. (laughs) And one of the things my mom did do when she passed, and none of us knew she had done this, is she had cleaned through everything in the house. And we all had our own big plastic bin, and she had saved stuff from everybody. And it was stuff that I had written to her and pictures and all kinds of things. And then it was stuff from the kids, you know, letters and 
you know, like my son, Jared wrote her once and said that, you know, the next day was going to be grandparents day at school. You know, do you want to come for lunch at noon? And they lived in Ohio and we were in Idaho, <laughs> So cute, you know, and it was, she was, you know, mom and dad were their first choices, you know? Mm-hmm. And so those bonds are family is so important. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and siblings are important. Yeah. When you're older, when you're a kid, you're like, what is this nonsense? I didn't feel that way. I did when you had Melissa. <laughs> it's like, get this out of here. This is not working for me. <laughs> well, I think that it's been, it's for me, it's been a really great experience just with growing up with grandma and you. I mean, it's a strong female role models. Our family is very female, matriarchal almost. Yes. And it's... Yes. I think that that's kind of a special way to grow up. And it's funny now because none of us have girls. <laughs> it's just all boys. And so it's kind of like a new era for the family, but it's been an experience growing up with such strong female role models. And I think that that's, it's been a blessing and it's kind of a unique, you know, not everybody has that experience. So that's true. That's true. But it shows male or female how strong of an example that person can be as a parent, as an aunt, uncle, a friend, you know, whomever, you know, my, both of my brothers are amazing men and they are very kind and patient. And they both, you know, we were also brought up with a lot of just amazing food, like I said earlier, and they both, it was almost like, you know, they had to learn to cook because if you wanted to have good food like that, you needed to learn to make it. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, because it was just, you know, part of our upbringing. Yeah. You know, but another reason the food was also so good is, you know, back then you had to know how to make everything from scratch. And believe it or not, it's a hundred times cheaper than, you know. It really is. Going, you can buy, you know, mac and cheese in the grocery store and, and it's like $12 for a giant pan, whereas opposed you can make, you know, three times as much for less. Yeah. Well, I get, I can't believe that we've already almost talked for an hour. I know. I feel like we haven't touched everything. No, I think so. I think I, I just I think it's important to talk about that. You know, I think it's important for people to talk about birth and their experiences in birth and the way things have changed because I think things have changed, but I think that they could change more and they could be better. You know, I think we've come a long way, but then in, in other ways we haven't. So I think it's important for people to know about their mom's experiences with birth and their grandmother's experiences mm-hmm. with birth. I mean it's a huge rite of passage and it's something that all women share when they have children. You know, you, you're going through it at the same time as countless other yeah, women. Yeah, that's and true. Women in our family for generations have had children. That's why we're here. And so mm-hmm. I, I think it's important to talk about, you know, knowing your birth story. It's like knowing where you came from, you know? That it's is very true. important to carry. If you don't talk about those things, then it's like you're missing a piece of your own story. Yeah. No matter whether it was exactly how you wanted it to go or whether it was you know, kind of went off the rails. It's still, it's, a, it's, that's the first time that you as a human interacted with the world and with your family and with mm-hmm. anyone. So I think it's important to talk about those things and to hear those things and to hear that, to hear how women experience bringing their children into the world. I think people should talk about it and celebrate it. And maybe things would change if people looked at I it as, so the, as the amazing rite of passage that it is and not, you know, it's a medical thing that you have to go and have someone save you from, you know. Well, and, and, and I'm glad, you know, truthfully, Jacqueline, that you chose to be a doula because, you know, when I think about this, you know, and what you're saying, you know, what a woman really does need is someone like that, you know, someone to bring a balance in. And, you know, even having three kids, you know, towards the end, you're just kind of like, I just got to get this baby out of me. I'm just, I'm done. Mm-hmm. And, you need that voice of reason to be able to say, you know, well, you know, maybe this or that, or, you know, show, tell you your options. Whereas I know I, not with the girls, but with other young women, you know, in different workplaces that were ready to give, you know, birth, they just say, well, I'm going to go in and just tell the doctor I want induced tomorrow, or I want to have a C-section and it would happen. And I was always shocked because back then you'd, inducing was like the, the very last thing to do, of course, mm-hmm. as, along with a C-section. But, you know, if 
you know, in my home birthdays, if someone said, you know, oh, well, she had to be induced. You were just like, oh, oh no. Because you were like, it's even worse. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, it's just a different mindset. And I think, you know, I think there had to be balance from when I was there too, you know, to now. There's a lot of, you know, knowledge that's so important that was gained. And, but also I think we need to bring people back to the idea that everything's going to be okay. And, yeah. you know, try and be that person to help them stay calm and make good choices, not only for the baby, of course, but the mother too. Mm-hmm. And, you know, one thing my mom always would say to me, and it was during a very difficult time, and I didn't talk to her about what was going on, but she had seen a lot in her young lifetime and her long lifetime. And she said to me once, she just said, Mary, one day you wake up and everything's okay. And it was just such a simple statement. Mm-hmm. But guess what? It's true. One day you wake up and it's okay. And it, you know, it doesn't mean Daisy's okay. It means, okay, I can look at today and it is better and I'm going to be okay. Mm-hmm. And that's a valuable piece of information. You know, Absolutely. it's very short and sweet and very direct, but you know, you can apply it in almost any situation, you know, when she passed and it was so devastating to us, you know, guess what? I'm okay now, mm-hmm. but it was one a day late. It was days later, yeah. but one day I woke up and I was like, okay, I can move forward now and I can look back and do what I'm doing right now with my daughter and talk about, you know, our past and our, our love and, you know, our family and, yeah, you know, and laugh at different things that weren't so funny back then. Yeah. But now you can say, I got through it. Okay. She was right. She was always right. Yeah, she was. Yeah. <laughs> Remember what she said, Jacqueline, life sucks and then you die. <laughs> Sometimes that's the truth too. <laughs> Oh, she should have been on greeting cards. She should have. And she, if you just pictured the cutest little lady, five foot tall, hundred pounds, and just would march around and tell everybody. But she always gave to everybody too. She was always the first to volunteer and she took us to Girl Scout camp and everything. But, you know, she let you know if you needed to know. Yep. In a very loving way. Yeah. Well, thinking about grandma and now you're a grandma. Yes. What... What would you wish for your kids and your grandkids moving forward, just in life, just in general? Like, Well, I wish for, you know, unity in their family, you know, growth all the time in love, that family is just an essence of, of love. And I see that with your families, all three of you. You guys are wonderful parents and you have wonderful spouses. and wisdom, unconditional love, because you really need unconditional love because life throws its curveballs. And I wish for my grandsons that they grow up to be loving, gentle, strong men, and that they're happy and healthy and that they in turn appreciate their parents the way our children appreciate Dave and I. Because mm-hmm. I will say, Ma, when I was reading some things, there was a question in there as to what do you feel like was your greatest compliment? And our kids just all the time, and it's not, you know, I could fish for it, but I don't need to fish for it. They reassure, they all the time just say, we had the best examples, you know, and mm-hmm. they say that on our birthdays. They say that on our wedding anniversaries, you know, or I'll just say, you're such a good mom. And they'll say, well, I had the best example. And my husband, Dave, is a very loving, giving man, probably one of the most giving people I've ever had in my life. And I remember my daughter, Melissa, saying, "It it took me a while, but I realize now that dad really never does say no. Not very often. You know, he, he, he hates to say no. And so I don't know why they would always ask me, but (laughs) we never learned that was a mistake. But, um, you know, to have that kind of love to say, okay, I don't want to say no. I want to help him figure it out. That's, that's who Dave and I, I think we are, but I know for sure that's who my husband is, Yep. you know, and I've, 
been happily married. It'll be coming up on 43 years this year. Oh my gosh. 42. 42. How old do you think I am? She's aging me prematurely. Stop it. (laughs) 42. (laughs) Well, I think that's a good place to stop. I really enjoyed it. Who knows what everybody else will think, but it made me really happy (laughs) to listen to you talk about your mom. We can redo it if you need us to. (laughs) (laughs) We we still have tons we can talk about. (laughs) Well, thank you so much. Thank you. I appreciate this opportunity to bond with my daughter. Me too. Yeah. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.